Welcome to Insights into ESG, a new podcast series brought to you by KPMG and the Crown Dependencies. Earlier this year, we launched KPMG Impact, bringing together new and existing ESG commitments under one umbrella. In each episode, we'll discuss the many different aspects of ESG with our guests, how they're reacting to the challenges, and how they are adapting to the new business environment around them. I'm Harry Briggs, an Associate Director in the Jersey office of our Crown Dependencies firm. As part of our KPMG Impact Initiative, we're taking a look at ESG through different lenses over this series. And today I'm joined by Simon Whitney from Travis Smith and Rashid Freemat from KPMG. Gents, how are you both? Doing well, very well, thank you. Also very well, thanks, Harry. Great. So, Simon, I invited you on to talk about the EU Sustainable Finance Disclosure Regulation. But I think to start with, it might be useful for our listeners if you could just give a brief overview of what the SFDR actually is. Yeah, Harry, thanks. So the SFDR, the Sustainable Finance Disclosure Regulation, is a core part of the European Union's sustainable finance strategy. This is their project to make sure that the finance community plays its part in achieving its sustainability goals, as you know. Uh, the EU has fairly ambitious sustainability goals, including uh, a commitment to be net zero by 2050. And it's clear that the finance community is going to have to play an important part in uh, achieving those policy objectives. So the SFDR SFDR is uh, a set of rules that will apply to uh, asset managers, uh, financial advisors, including in our world, AFIMs, uh, fund managers, uh, and um, it will apply to them uh, from the 10th of March. Uh, it, it, it goes hand in hand with the taxonomy regulation, which comes into force a bit later. It starts to come into force uh, from the beginning of uh, 2022. Uh, but the two things really go hand in hand uh, to try and uh, force managers, uh, force uh, financial market participants to make uh, clear uh, disclosures. The taxonomy is actually a rigid binary classification system for economic activities. So it kind of forces companies and and, and ultimately uh, asset managers to uh, classify an activity according to whether it's sustainable or not sustainable. So it's a it's a binary tool and therefore pretty clear for outsiders. The SFDR itself, which as I say, goes alongside the taxonomy but is separate, will require uh, financial uh, market participants and financial advisors to disclose how they take account of ESG risks uh, and in addition to that to disclose publicly whether they take account of negative impacts, negative externalities, so-called adverse impacts in their decision-making process. Uh, the SFDR has both product level and firm level obligations. So some things that the firm has to do and some things that go along with the product or the fund that's being marketed. Uh, and um, the products that claim to have uh, particular environmental or social features, um, those that are uh, deliberately investing in sustainable activities or those that have environmental or social characteristics associated with them, there are some additional disclosure requirements which are really designed to prevent greenwashing. So so disclosures to support the claims that have been made by the manager. Okay, thanks, Simon. That's a really useful overview. 
Now, as I understand it, the UK didn't adopt EU SFDR international legislation, but can you talk us through how structures in the UK or in the Crown dependencies that are obviously outside the EU might actually be caught by those rules? Yes, so you're right that the UK decided not to adopt the SFDR and uh, didn't have to because the implementation date for this uh, legislation, as I said, is, is 10th of March this year, so after the UK had left the EU and after the uh, and and after the um, uh, after the transitional period or the implementation period had had ended, so the UK made the decision not to implement the SFDR uh, in its in its sort of EU form. It may in fact implement its own version of the SFDR in due course, but we just don't know at this stage whether and and, and how it will do that. But you're right to say, Harry, that this is really important for UK and Crown Dependency and indeed all uh, non-EU AFIMs. Uh, And that's because uh, although the regulation isn't entirely clear, and in fact, the European regulators wrote to the European Commission uh, asking a number of questions, um, including uh, the extent to which the SFDR applies to non-EU or non-EEA managers, um, the, the general view is that if you're marketing a fund into the EU on or after the 10th of March uh, to, to 2021, uh, then um, you have to comply at least in relation to the product level obligations and potentially even uh, more broadly than that uh, with the SFDR requirements. So, so essentially a UK manager uh, or a Crown Dependency uh, based manager that is marketing funds into the EU is very likely to have to comply with at least some uh, of the SFDR requirements. In addition to that, um, as you know, uh, many international managers have an EU sleeve, have either a Luxembourg or an Irish or, or another manager, whether that's their own manager or a third party manager uh, running a kind of separate sleeve of their, of, of their international fund. And clearly, if you've got an EU regulated entity in your group, a Luxembourg or an Irish manager, for example, uh, then that entity will have to comply with SFDR being a a fully regulated EU entity. Um, And if you use a third party manager, which which many do, then many of the obligations that will be imposed on that third party manager um, may well be passed down to the um, advisor or or, or portfolio manager that's outside the EU that that that, that manager uh, that that manager engages. Okay, understood. That's really helpful. So um, we mentioned uh, that the SFDR became effective on the the tenth of March this year, so twenty twenty one. But um, there's actually two levels to the um, SFDR, aren't there? So we're talking about level one becoming effective on on the tenth of March. Um, but the level two, do we have any idea of, of when that might become effective? And then can you maybe sort of talk about what those two levels are and what we mean by them? Yes. So it was originally envisaged by the regulation. So so the, the SFDR is a regulation, which means it's directly effective across uh, the whole of the EU. It doesn't need to be separately implemented uh, by a member state. Um, so, so it was originally envisaged that the SFDR would come into force on the 10th of March and the subsidiary rules, the so-called level two rules that, um, uh, that, that, that are envisaged by the SFDR and which uh, specify the detail of the disclosure obligations that go with it 
uh, it was envisaged that they would all come into force on the 10th of March 2021, all at the same time. However, uh, there were delays to the preparation of these so-called level two uh, detailed rules. And it's uh, since been announced that the uh, level two rules, uh, which sit um, to specify the more detailed requirements, will not become effective until we think 1st of January 2022. In fact, those level two rules, those detailed uh, disclosure rules, are still only in draft form. They're awaiting uh, approval by the European Commission. They have to go through a process before they're published in final form. We do have a draft set of rules. These are so-called regulatory technical standards. The draft RTS uh, has been published by the regulators, presented to the Commission. So we've seen what uh, is envisaged in, in terms of these level two rules, but they're not yet final. We don't know whether the Commission will accept them in their current form or will make some changes to them. Um, and, and, and we're not entirely sure because it's not yet been finally officially confirmed. But, but the expectation of, all, of everyone is that these uh, rules will come into effect on the 1st of January 2022. What, what does that mean for people in practice? Well, it means that um, everybody is expected to comply with the SFDR from the 10th of March 2021. The, the, the actual regulation is still effective. It still came into effect on that date. Uh, and that means that firms have to comply um, on a sort of best efforts basis with all of the various fairly generic disclosure uh, rules. Um, they do not have to comply with the more detailed disclosure rules that are set out in the RTS, which, as I say, are not yet in force. However, um, the regulators have recently said that given that there is a draft set of detailed rules out there, they would expect national authorities, national regulators, and indeed fund managers, financial market participants and financial advisors to look at those draft rules and to use them as a reference point in working out how to make disclosures in the interim period. So between the 10th of March 2021 and the 1st of January 2022, uh, fund managers had a certain amount of discretion as to how they make these SFDR compliant disclosures. Uh, they're not tied to the detailed uh, uh, second level regulations, but they're kind of expected to, to, to follow the, the draft regulation or at least to use it as a reference point for their, for, for, for their disclosures in, in, in the interim period. Okay, okay. And now um, you mentioned in there as well that the, the requirements get more stringent depending on whether you're marketing a product that either markets itself as a sustainable product or whether there may be some um, ESG credentials used as part of the marketing of the product, even if it isn't exclusively sustainable. How does that work in terms of level one? Do those differing requirements come in at that stage or will that be more around level two disclosures? No, they come in immediately as well. So the general principle is that um, with effect from the 10th of March, uh, firms will all have to disclose their approach to sustainability risk. That's a website disclosure requirement for EU regulated firms. It's a product level requirement for anyone marketing product uh, on or after the 10th of March. That That's something that's laid out in the regulation and is effective immediately, as is the requirement to say whether or not you are going to consider principal adverse impacts or, or negative externalities in your investment decision making. But in addition to that, there are there are rules around so-called Article 8 and Article 9 products. And Article 8 and Article 9 products 
our, our products that exhibit particular sustainability features. Either they promote environmental or social characteristics or, or they have sustainable investment as their objective. And, and in both of those cases, there are also additional disclosure requirements that also apply uh, with effect from the 10th of March. Again, and, and, and perhaps most importantly for these products, um, there's envisaged that there will be templates for those disclosures, for those, both those pre-contractual disclosures and those ongoing disclosures. Uh, and it's those templates which won't be affected until the 1st of January next year. Uh, but in the meantime, the disclosure obligations, the disclosure obligation to, for example, explain what the environmental and social characteristics of your product are and how you're going to achieve those, uh, th th those obligations are already in, in effect. They apply from the 10th of March. Great. So thanks for clarifying that. That's really helpful, Simon. So Rashid, just uh, turning over to you, if, uh, if I may. Um, so Simon's kind of given us a really good overview there and, and clarified a few points around um, what the EU SFDR is. What do you think um, the, the main challenges for our client base is going to be in, in terms of complying with these requirements? Thank you. Thank you, Harry, uh, for the question. So I'd say the first, the first probably challenge would be around the, the, the actual scope. Um, so asset managers, fund managers, advisors and their funds really need to understand the scope of SFDR and whether or not they're caught by the regulations. Um, I guess the majority of our, of our clients in, in the Crown dependencies are multi-jurisdictional uh, and have footprints uh, th th for various countries. And obviously, there's direct and indirect footprint in, in, in Europe. Uh, and, and Simon mentioned some of the uncertainty that, that there is around, you know, whether they're caught or they're not. So I think, you know, understanding if you're caught and, and how it impacts um, your entities or structures within your entities, I think is going to be crucial. Uh, and then there's the fact that if they are in scope, you know, which of the articles do their products fall, fall within? And I think that's also an important factor that needs to be considered. Um, so, so moving on from the scope, I'd say, you know, another key challenge is around implementation. We're obviously working to a to a very tight timeframe. Um, and um, so firms will need to, you know, for those that are having to update the websites, prospectuses, uh, and at the later dates, the reporting around some of these items, such as the, the sustainable risk policies, the adverse sustainable impact remuneration policies, etc. There's a real significant amount of work that needs to be done there. Uh, obviously, depending on the nature of, of, of their operations, whether they have a, a number of different investment vehicles with different strategies, that, that, that could be, you know, a, a large piece of work. Um, I guess also the fact is that you know a key part of the SFDR is that disclosures are made on how ESG factors are adopted into the investment decision-making process. Um, and you know, whilst it's, you can claim that you've embedded ESG into your investment decision process, you know, is this really the case, and, and how is that measured? Uh, so there's certainly some areas to think about there, from you know, in terms of cha challenges around defining what ESG criteria will look like. You know, multiple ESG investment approaches that, that potentially uh, structures could adopt. You know, um, also benchmarking. You know, what does what does good look like? You know, who, who are our peers, and, and how, and and how do we uh, you know benchmark against that? Uh, and also then thinking about the skill set of the investment team, and, and you know, and do they have the necessary skill set to perform this kind of analysis? Uh, I think it's important. Also, uh, assurance and reporting. You know, invest, investors will look for insurance over some of the non-financial 
in, in information, you know, to avoid this this green watch greenwashing. And we're at very the very early stages of this, I guess. Entities, you know, are dealing with with implementation phase, but certainly stakeholders, regulators are going to start to look to to verify some of this non-financial information, and that's and that's going to be crucial, certainly as we move towards, you know, the level two technical standards that that, that, that Simon talked about earlier. Uh, and a key part of all of this will be, you know, the actual quality of the data. You know, how easy is it to get hold of the data for for a manager? Um, you know, it's going to depend on the complexity of the structure, obviously. But there's relevance and reliability issues in in data that need to be looked at as well. I guess more more generally, uh, firms need to think about having having an ESG roadmap in place where they consider their strategy. Um, also, thinking about whether or not the, the the governance structures that they have in place are fit for purpose. Um, you know, that fit for purpose. What does that look like? Well. Obviously, they need to be considering SFDR, uh, SFDR, um, and the regulations around that. But, but obviously, you know, as I said earlier, that, that they're multi-jurisdictional, so they need to think about other regulations and principles, which are many of which are emerging that could impact on on operations. Great, thanks, Rashid. And Simon, I guess a similar question to you. I suppose you're um, you're working with a number of clients and probably helping get particulars and things like that in order to comply. Um, what are you seeing from your client base, and what are what are the challenges that are kind of coming out for your clients? Well, very much as uh, Rashid was saying, really, um, there's there's quite a lot of work for firms uh, to do. Um, there was a lot of work for them to do in advance of the 10th of March, getting ready for the kind of initial deadline. But there's Quite a lot more work for them to do, getting ready for the first of January and the and the ongoing disclosure requirements that are coming, uh, particularly those that are going to be reporting under the taxonomy, uh, which is a subset of, uh, of of firms, but nevertheless an important subset of firms, and and I think a a, a group that will increase in number uh, over time considerably. Um, so there's a lot of work to do in, re in relation to to gathering the data and preparing the narrative reports, certainly. One of the big problems for us has been uh, helping clients navigate through these uncertainties. As I mentioned uh, earlier, the regulators themselves had to write to the Commission in January uh, asking for clarification of uh, various issues. And it's been very difficult in the absence of uh, clarification from the Commission. Uh, it's, it had been difficult for firms in advance of the 10th of March deadline to really work out you know, how to categorise their products, you know, what was an Article 8 product, what was an Article 9 product. Um, what level of detail was required by the disclosures in the absence of a binding uh, RTS regulatory technical standard? Should they use the templates, uh, or should they, um, or should they not yet use the templates because they're not in final form? So there's been quite a lot of uh, open questions that uh, we've had to help our clients to answer, uh, as well as to just do the work in terms of putting together the the disclosures themselves. Yeah, I would say uh, that the landscape is definitely changing. Uh, you know, investors expect high-quality financial and, and now non-financial information. Uh, you know, we are seeing requ requests around climate, climate change, and other ESG metrics. Uh, the, the UK roadmap to mandatory TFCD aligned disclosures was released last year, and is definitely a positive step. You know, the UK will be one of the first countries to make disclosures that are aligned to TFCD um, mandatory uh, by 2025 for, for the majority of companies. And it's a, certainly next year, we'll see London Stock Exchange premium listed companies put out disclosures, certainly in the front end of the financial statements around TFCD, which is which is really positive. I would note that, 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 uh, that listed investment funds are carved out from these requirements, um, but we do expect to see a consultation 
this year uh, in the asset management space in the UK, which 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 should really set the scene on, on, on what we expect to see, you know, moving forward. Um, so I think it's going to be a really interesting times. Yeah, that's a really good point, Rashid. So thanks, guys. There's some really useful insight there into the uh, EU SFDR. Um, so Simon, just in these last few minutes, I wanted to see if we could move away from uh, SFDR and, and maybe just mention this um, current consultation that the EU are doing on sustainable corporate governance. I mean, it, this is early stages, so I don't think we can really say anything too detailed, but I think it might be useful for our listeners just to understand at a, a really high level what that is, just so they're aware of it. Yes, absolutely. So as you say, it is at an early stage and um, you know, we don't quite know how, how these rules are going to develop. But there are really two different aspects and uh, perhaps the most important aspect of the current consultation is, uh, is something which I think uh, has got quite a lot of political support and quite a lot of traction uh, in the EU legislative process. And, and that's the idea to have mandatory due diligence duty for companies, companies uh, right across the board, including uh, small and medium-sized companies uh, to have a, a, an obligation for companies to check uh, not just their own operations but all the, also their supply chain um, for sustainability-related issues. And, and, and by sustainability-related issues, I mean human rights uh, and uh, environmental issues. So, um, so, 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 so potentially quite an onerous obligation uh, for firms, um, and that's I think something that will. Um, you know, will it will emerge from the legislative process at some point because it does seem to have uh, uh, quite a lot of support. The, the other aspect, um, and maybe I just do a quick plug for my book because I recently published a book on corporate governance and responsible investment in private equity. Um, the, the 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 other aspect of the consultation kind of relates to what corporate governance rules should look like. So. so putting the kind of mandatory due diligence rules aside, it's thinking about how directors should make decisions and what their duty of care should look like. And the idea here is that um, stakeholders should have a greater role, employees, customers, creditors, suppliers, all sorts of other stakeholders, and potentially also, um, you know, those those with an interest in, you know, the wider environmental and uh, uh, and human rights issues in society, they, they should have a role in, in enforcing a director's obligation to consider uh, those kind of stakeholder impacts uh, in their decision-making process. I, I think that's a that's a more difficult one. Uh, I'm I'm not sure where that one's going to go, but um, certainly the mandatory due diligence uh, uh, part of the proposal I think really does have legs. So definitely one to watch. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it's really interesting that you've you've sort of literally written a book on this as well. Um, we've definitely seen an increase on our side from the number of um, asset managers and private equity houses looking to implement. You know, increased enhanced levels of corporate governance. So it's it's very timely this consultation. It'll be interesting to see where it goes. Okay, so thanks, guys. I mean, it's clear that ESG regulation, particularly in the asset management sector, is is coming through thick and fast at the moment, both from a, an EU perspective and also the UK. So it's looking like the next couple of years is going to be a really challenging time um, for our client base. So on that note, I'm sure this won't be the the last time we discuss these topics. But I wanted to thank you both for uh, joining me today. Uh, and also just to thank you to our listeners for tuning in. So goodbye for now. If you'd like to learn more about KPMG Impact or discuss your ESG business needs with our team, please visit our website in the link in the podcast summary. Thank you for listening. See you next time.